Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey friends, have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships? My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach And within 48 hours, you'll be getting private one-on-one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now, for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off one month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschool.com slash Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer. I am joined by my fearless co-host, Kristen Williams, one of my best friends, physical therapist, and lit senior specialist. Hello. Hello, Laura. Hi, everybody. So we'll dive right in. The first one is from one of our friends in Australia, Julie Miller. She asks, a friend and fellow yogi has Deputran's contracture. Neither one of us really know how to pronounce that well. In both hands, she's recently seen a specialist about this, and has been told that it isn't severe enough to operate and to wait. The surgery was explained to her and seems very extreme. And she attached some photos, so she really kind of wanted to know, like, what our thoughts are in terms of do would we wreck any information or suggestions would be appreciated. So those who don't know what this is. If you look down at your hands, like the palms of your hands, and you can some, you can almost see a, a tendon popping out in the third finger if you kind of wiggle it around. And right around that area, the fascial bands, the tendons start to, it's almost like scar tissue. It gets scarred down. Yeah. Yeah. She's pointing to it right now, right? It's that third finger. For our people on video cast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. For the people. That's right. And so this is a genetic and it is like hereditary. Like I, most people don't get this. It is some kind of strange little tweak. We all get, you know, it's almost like getting an extra dimple somewhere. You know, it's just like, it is something. And the the hard thing about it is it, it really limits the mobility of the hand. 
and it can become very uncomfortable. So there's a pretty common procedure, which is a release of that. And so I guess Julie's friend is not yet severe. And I, the picture did show, it was just like a tiny bit of that, uh, the band is getting stuck. So really bad one. It actually, it actually moves the entire, it moves the hand and contracts the whole hand. And so then it really becomes like, you can't put weight on it because you have this little mitt <laughs> and it's painful. And it just, it, you know, you don't realize until something happens to your hands, how much we need them and how much we, you know, manipulate objects. So the biggest suggestion I can say is to just keep putting weight bearing on it and try and keep it mobile. If the surgeon has said she's not severe enough, then I can't go against that because he's the one that he or she is the one that's going to do the operation. But the you said it looks radical or the operation seems radical. It, it actually is not bad. Both of us have treated lots of people who, including my father-in-law and my my aunt, and it is actually quite a relief when they get it. Um, it doesn't take that long to get some of the stuff back. There's been some weakening in those intrinsic muscles because they haven't been moving their hands. So intrinsic are muscles that are in the hand itself versus some of the extrinsics that come from the forearm and then come into the hand via tendons. The muscles of the hand and down into the forearm as well can get um, weakened. So the best thing I would say is to really keep it mobile. Spread the fingers as much as you, it's not going to, you're, you're working against some really thickened fascia, but to do the best you can is to add those stretches. Do you have some more suggestions? No, I completely agree with you. It's funny. It's my father-in-law and my my uncle my and my grandmother. Uh, my grandma always said that, she's my nana is what I call her, is that it means you have Viking blood. Yes, now, I, I don't bet. Know if they- <laughs> <laughs> but it feels very, very Norse and like, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, and every single person that's had that release that I've known, they feel so much better after. But I agree with you. Go with what the surgeon's saying. The surgeon does this over and over and hundreds of these probably a year. And while any type of surgery seems scary and because it's a hand, you know, usually these are hand surgeons who that's what they work on. And, um, you know, they are doing surgery on people who use their hands for their living pianists. And so a simple release of someone who's just, you know, your average Joe or Jane is just, you know, it's so run of the mill. But in the meantime, yes, strength and stretch just to prolong and improve your function or maintain your function for as long as you can, because these are, yes, they are progressive. And I think the probably the purpose of the surgeon saying let's wait is these things can come back. Like once you, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's genetic, it's, uh, it's intrinsic. And so they want to put it off until you have to, with the hopes of they only have to go in once. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. my thought. I agree. It is, it's a, it's a funny um, little genetic anomaly and, but yeah, maintain function as long as you can. Don't be sidelined by, you know, this disturbance, especially when it's in one hand and not the other, you can really sit there and compare and then try and do everything with that other hand. And I would actually say no, just like any surgery, the more you actually prehab and prepare um, and maintain function and strength and um, flexibility of those tissues, the better off the outcome is going to be as well. 100%. All right. So I have one here from Una Yoga 1. She says, hi, this is a question for your Wednesday Q&A. I was diagnosed with left posterior rotator cuff weakness 18 months ago. 
idiopathic, maybe an old injury, bad posture. Worked on strength exercises from the PT, and now strength is really good. But I still feel like it's not as coordinated or stable, and it's a bit crackly around the scapula. It's my non-dominant side, too. Could you recommend some moves that I could add into my reset to help wake up my shoulder? Thank you. I love Lit and the podcast and especially the Q&A, Una. So I'll start with this one because this is so, so common. You know, the, the rotator cuff is mainly posterior. You have the uh, supraspinatus, your infraspinatus, your teres minor, and then underneath the scapula, you have your subscapularis. And so the role of these muscles is you know, basically to hold the arm bone within the socket when you move. And that crackling that she's describing, you know, that we also have as what's called a scapulothoracic joint where your scapula, it's, it's not just one joint of the shoulder, it's a whole complex. So we know she has this issue with the glenohumeral joint with the rotator cuff, but she most likely has issues with the scapulothoracic joint. That crackling is a common, um, you can have crackling and have there be, there's no issue, but she's also describing, I love that all the information she gave us, but she, you know, and she's describing that it feels uncoordinated. It feels sticky or, you know, and that is so common. So a lot of the things that I give patients to do after I've gotten a, a really good look at how they move and so much can be revealed by that. So I would recommend, I know you went to the PT who gave you some great strength and exercises, but, you know, if you're comfortable with you know, viewing the body, watch yourself move, take some video of yourself move in a sports bra, look at your dolphin, look at your down dog, look at your side plank, Uh, look at yourself just moving through flexion and abduction and watch it from the front, watch it from behind, try to create some symmetry. Because a lot of times um, we can find, we don't even feel it, but then you can see it, this gross asymmetry. Well, all of a sudden this side's coming up, and you can, you can look at the negative space and just compare. How does it look? You can watch the scapula. How are they moving? Um, look at your unilateral, you know, your funky dolphin. How is it moving? Do some shoulder blade shrugs. And then when you start to notice, oh, what? and you probably will see a big difference, that's the uncoordination that you're seeing. And so, you know, working some force sheets. It's my favorite thing about funky dolphin and the shoulder scrubs. And I give it as therapy for so many of my clients who tend to be from the yoga realm at this point in time as a way to rehabilitate themselves. Because a lot of times, not only do you have the posterior rotator cuff weakness, which is now stronger, but you have a lot of habits of Mm -hmm. the way you're moving on the mat in life. You know, so starting to try to balance that out. So I will tell people, you know, even before, let's say you're starting a 845 class at 830, get there and start that early. Do some cat cow, do some scapular shrugs and down dog in some serratus puffs in in quadruped. Um, Try your unilateral whatever, funky dolphin or just the one-arm dolphin or one-arm, just to get the juices flowing and get the brain connection going to that, not only the glenohumeral joint, but your scapulothoracic joint. I mean, sure, your SC and your AC. I see a lot of the dysfunction being more between the scapulothoracic and the glenohumeral joint. Those are the ones that are the most obvious and easy for a person to address and correct on their own without hands-on manual therapy and stuff. What do you have to say about that, Laura? 
Well, you said so much that I echo, of course, and I agree when she said that whole thing, it was like, wow, she's, Una, you really have an idea that it feels like it's not coordinated. And that the job of the rotator cuff, the job of the other scapula stabilizers, probably their biggest job is as a dynamic stabilizer. So that means that how to control movement so that it is coordinated, it feels easy and graceful and not clunky and not like catchy or anything. And so, but that starts from a lot of the stability work. And so all the stuff Kristen just said, I would continue with that. I would, um, in quadruped, one thing I always think about is you put your brain right where the scapula are, like really think about them and feel them. So some people are like, I can't, like until you get that feeling, you have to connect the brain there. So just play around within cat and cow, like softening the chest and feeling the scapula kind of grab onto the back. You're not bending the elbows as you soften the chest, but you feel that. And then literally feel like there's little suction cups underneath the scapula that will pull them down and hold them. That's the dynamic stability we need so that we could then go into plank. We can lower from plank. We can then take it into up dog. We can take it into down dog and and the scapula will stay connected, but they just slide around. And watch the humeral head like a hawk because you already, again, you got, you, you've had this injury. It's like to Kristen's point, that's, that memory is still there. And probably it happened because the humeral head was not well stabilized because this got, you know, the rotator cuff muscles were not doing enough of their job. So wherever you are, I was just teaching a private yesterday to a, a small group and and it was just fascinating. I mean, these are all, they, they were all collegiate athletes uh, just wanting a little yoga. And like their shoulders were just, <laughs> their humeral heads were just moving all around. It's like, no, no, that's not what they're supposed to be doing when we're weight bearing. They need to be secure and that scapula clips on there. So really put your hand on your humeral head. You might already be doing this when you're in a modified side plank. Check in with it and then connect that that humeral head will stay centered when the scapula are pulling onto the back ribs. Then you start adding things like, you know, say you're in a modified side plank, you can slide one leg back and then slide it over to the left. So you've got hip abduction. It's asymmetrical pull, that opposite right scapula, the right elbow is going to want to bend. You got to secure it. Just feel these different, those slight perturbations where you're getting the dynamic stability before you start adding a lot of load, you know, like a load would be lowering to the ground. And then again, all the asymmetrical stuff like Kristen was referring to in Funky Dolphin. But it sounds like you already know what you're doing. It's just, I would echo what Kristen said, video yourself. It is so telling. And then you literally have to moment by moment, brain to scapula, what is it doing? (laughs) And feel it, feel it. Don't just think it. Really don't move and don't change where you are until you feel that connection. And um, it will improve. And of course, keep doing lit. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you for that. All right. Next question is from Vaccaro. She says, in Tight back fascia, flared ribs, and tight obliques, external part of diastasis recti for some athletes. So I think what she's asking is, when what do we do when we see this in athletes? They have this tight back fascia, which pushes the ribs forward. Okay, so if I have a shirt on and it's tight in back, 
it's, I have, it's freer in front, right? If I loosen that up, then I can, it's the same idea with the fascia. Like if it's pulled together, then the front has more space and the back doesn't. So you get the flared ribs. And then I think she's saying that the external obliques, tight obliques, external part of diastasis recti. So there's a lot to that. I think this is vodka probably. Yes. (laughs) And I wonder if you're asking for yourself or, or athletes that you work with. So when you are dealing with these kind of suboptimal, for lack of a better word, postures, postural syndromes, really. And this is, again, if somebody doesn't think posture matters, like just talk to an athlete or somebody strong who has developed these very noticeable imbalances that shifts their skeletal structure. So if we have the the plumb line, the center of mass, and everything's tightened, kind of overly worked perhaps, it might not necessarily be strong, but it's tightened back and it pushes the rib cage forward, you are also displacing your center of mass in a way because it's supposed to be right in the center of the body and now it's forward. And so there's a load at the hinge point on your low back. That might be one reason you've got all these tightness. It's not tightness from you know, strength in the obliques. It's just literally trying to hold the front ribs in place. So you just have to break it down. And like I always say, take out the joints that are, that are not part of this, that, but, but they contribute to it. So your knees, bend your knees like crazy. Anytime you're hinging at the hips, anytime you're fold, forward folding, anytime you're squat, anytime that a straight knee is going to pull the pelvis and tip it and push the ribs forward. So accommodate that. Watch what the head is doing. The head is forward. The chin is out. It's going to thrust the ribs as well. Pull the skull back. So look above and below and then consolidate. Work on the strength. These type of clients, people, yourself, like you have to use your hands. you got to hold the ribs in, not let them poke out. You might have to restrain movement for a while because we go with the path of least resistance. And we know that that isn't always going to benefit us. And then in fact, that's probably what led to this is you just do the same thing over and over. And then it becomes like the only path you can take. That's why posture matters because it opens up the movement variability potential. When you think, fuck it, it doesn't matter. I'm not saying Vaca does, but I'm saying other people saying that. What you're actually saying is, well, it doesn't really matter if we well move in all, if we move well in all directions. And that's just not true. If we really want to have that potential, if we really want to have that variability for movement, not only for the brain, but for the firing of the muscles and for ultimately the joint health. That's all I'll say about that. You want to add on? No, I, I, I love that you brought movement into this conversation because, you know, she's talking or she's thinking about in a static pull, you know, this is what it looks like. My back's tight. My, I have a flare of the ribs. And this is where I get my, my, in the back of the hairs in the back of my neck stand up when people start saying that posture doesn't matter or it doesn't matter how you move because the big argument out there right now is, well, you should be able to move through all ranges and be strong in all ranges. Well, yes, you should be able to, but if you can't learn how to direct where your movement is in a static position, if so if you can't learn how to engage and pull the front ribs in while you're moving, like let's say in this area, while you're moving other limbs, how is that going to translate 
through a more complex movement pattern. Yes, people should be able to move. I know I kind of went on a little bit of a tangent, but I just my that took my mind there because it's been on my mind and been bugging me. And I just love that she's recognizing that this can be improved. If I can learn to be intentional with my movement patterns. So what can I do? Like you said, consolidate. And then, because it changed my life. I know, uh, not surprisingly, or actually to some, it might be surprising. The posture she's describing is very similar to a woman after carrying a baby for so many, you know, for eight, well, we'll say five months of the weight. You get that tight back fascia, you get that hinge, you get the flare of the ribs. And once that weight goes away, oh, well, sure, you can go back to moving however you want. But if you don't restore that ability to direct the posture back into a stack, you are moving less optimally and can therefore, in the long run, cause issues. So for me, when I started first started working with Lit, working with you, you know, the cues to bend my knees, to soften that back fascia, to really breathe into the back body and expand it by choice. You know what I mean? So like mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. doing that because I was choosing to do it purposely with intent. There's no willy nilliness about it. Uh, could I move in every which way? Was I super athletic? Am I super athletic? Yes. But was I moving optimally? No. And therefore, like now I know. Mm-hmm. And if this is vodka, which she's thinking, of, you know, now she knows because she just went through our, our training. And now you're seeing it in athletes, just like you're seeing it in yourself. You see it in Olympic athletes, you know. So, oh, you may not be trying to change their athletic performance. We can impact their life with the way they move off the field for us on the mat, but also off the mat. So I just think that's a great question. And um, it's great. Yeah, a lot to be learned. And I will say, I mean, just what you said, we don't want to wait until this is revealed to us. Now, honestly, that's when most people show up and, you know, but, you know, I was, this brought me back to another private I had just last week and it was with a young woman who is experiencing knee pain, you know, and I'm like 27 years older than she is. And I had to find the right words to basically say, like, you have to actually change the way you're moving because you're already having issues at your age. And it's not, it's only going to get worse, but you'll, you'll accommodate so that you can keep running with your friends. You can keep doing all these things. And then the knee pain will go away and get a little... But what she was basically, she wasn't moving well at all in her hips. It was exactly this. I mean, her back fascia was locked. She could not posteriorly glide in her hips well at all. I, I hadn't seen anything quite like that in a while. Like, and that's that movement of the femur and the pelvis. So that's going back toward the glutes so that your trunk can, you know, that you can hinge at your hips and your trunk can come down. She couldn't do that, driving into her knee over and over again. So that movement pattern reinforce the tightness. And so that that is also the big issue is that you really have to believe at any age, obviously her age, it would be easier, but at any age, we can change the way we move. We can make it better. But we, to Kristen's point, you have to examine it. Like, how are you standing? How are you moving from that position? And so that's why we always start with posture because that is your starting point. And, and if you're already standing in that locked out rib cage forward position, your body is only going to be able to have 
just a handful of choices of how you can move as opposed to a lot more choices in a more sustainable way. So I, by the way, I don't know if that's vodka or not. Vodka, if it's not you, we love you. We're not, we're just thinking maybe this is you because you're so athletic or this is one of your clients and it might be somebody else. Who knows? That's the great thing about these Instagram handles. I have no idea who they are. Most of them are. All right, we have time for one more question. This is a, uh, I'll go, this is a really nice short question because it's not about PT per se, but this is about, um, Ariel asks, she said, can you talk on the podcast about how time management? (laughs) And I think she realizes like we're both, you know, pretty busy. I don't like to use that word. Very full schedules, got a lot going on. Ariel is is a relatively new mom. Her baby is 18 months old. And she said, I really need help with time management. How do y'all do it? So I will let you go first. Well, I can tell you, uh, Ariel, that it was much different for me when my kids were little um, than it is now. Uh, You are in arguably the hardest time of a female's life, of a a mother's life. Um, And the thing that helped me at that time, because I definitely struggled. I was working 40 hours a week, plus, you know, whatever, the entire time children I do a lot of the stuff around the house, the shopping, the cooking, you know, all that cleaning. My husband is fabulous. He helps out as best he can, but it's just a lot of stuff has always fallen onto my schedule. So what I did, and this, this may or may not work for you, is I got, now this is before we had smartphones where things would alert you, but I still like this idea of having a planner and it, so I, I could put things into it like this, you know, prioritizing this needs to be done now. This is what I want to do in the next three months. And these are long-term goals. And so really, when it comes to time management, I would find myself getting flustered by that whole list of everything. But if I would just, you know, put things into their bins of this needs to be done by this date. And then I had a calendar. And if I had a phone, I would put And I still use reminders on my phone. You know, I will put things in there at 6 a.m. Don't forget, you know, so-and-so has this. So it's at the top of my calendar. So I will remember. Um, I have always lived and died by a calendar. It was written before. Now it's on my phone. But that planner really helped, helped me with time management not get overwhelmed by the bigger things that maybe weren't, that didn't need to be done immediately. Because... You've got priorities that you can't put aside when it comes to your children. And sometimes it's their little things that you're thinking about. Oh, my God, their birthday party's coming up. I got to get the invitations out. I got to do the planning. I've got to buy the gifts. And then you've got, you know, the holidays are around the corner. And all of that stuff starts to mount. And so getting it written down, whether it's in front of you. I like, again, written because then you can almost like a game board, you know, like you would have in a sports or you'd see on the movie's the NASA, I think of Kat, you know, Kat's so good at these things because I think with her Space Force and Air Force, you know, she's used to that. Getting the big picture in front of your eyes, it just helps to calm and then helps you time manage. That That's my, that's the first thing that popped in my mind because I remember being there and just literally being like, you know, ready to explode. And then I started, I read about it somewhere and it truly changed my life and really calmed things down. Yeah, I love that. I think I will first echo what Kristen said. If you are a mom of young kids, you need to just really know that 
it is the hardest squeeze on you. It, it does get easier in a different way. There's other challenges as they get older, but that just energetic zap <laughs> of having young kids is there. It's truly wonderful in all those things, but it is tiring. So I will first say, I think it's really important to know your nervous system and know your strengths. And I think those two things are going to help a lot with time management. What I mean by nervous system, um, and Ariel, I don't think you're this person, but there are some people who are more anxious. And so for them, time management can really become a fucking burden. You know what I mean? Because it's there's a lot of checking off things and all that, but they need that like list. And I'm, I'm saying they because I'm not one of those people, but uh, those people are getting shit done for sure. So I think kind of know like, what is it that speaks to you? Like for some people list, they they live by them. And like you were saying, for you, it got a little bit overwhelming. You needed kind of more like this spatially diverse outlook. But for some people, they need that list. Like beginning of the day, they have that list and it really helps them and they are amazing with their time management. For others like myself, <laughs> um, I am kind of like Kristen. I'm much more organic. Like I... I write a lot of things down. I have ideas. But when my, in those younger years, what the, the, the second thing I would know is know about yourself. Like, what are your absolute, I always call them the non-negotiables, that are going to help you handle anything, even if you are kind of sucking at time management one day, but the next day is better. And for me, it was always that I needed to exercise or move my body. It was a non-negotiable. So I remember when my kids were little, some days it would happen and I'd look ahead and I'd be like, I'm going to have to wake up at five freaking AM, which is not my time. But I did it because I knew that the hours of the day, I was going to be a better person. And then I would, you know, go to sleep earlier, but everything honestly was better if I took care of myself. So then I could manage time too. So I would say, Figure out your non-negotiables and prioritize them. Obviously, your kids are non-negotiable. We know that. But what are the other ones? They've got to be about you. Like, is it exercise? Is it meditation? Is it you have to have coffee with a friend? Whatever it is, non-negotiable that is going to make you a better person. And that is what's going to help your time management more than anything. And then also, let go. Let go that you're not going to do it all. This whole like super mom is a fallacy. It is a fallacy that was fed to us, and it is wrong. We never call men supermen. No offense. Again, I love men. I'm never trying to bash them. But we have a patriarchal society which really says women can do it all, and the superwomen do it all, and they can't. It will Something will give, all right? So don't let it be you, and don't let it be your kid, and don't let it be your marriage. Prioritize what you need to give time to, and your work will probably— still be there, even if you know you can't give it your all, it's okay. So I think know that A, there's not a super mom. It just isn't. We're all super moms. We are all super heroes if we can show up as our best selves. And that's really the ultimate thing. So I don't know if I helped a lot. The, oh, the other only thing I was going to say, I did have a menu for the week. And I did this when I had two kids. I still do that. Yeah. That was a savior because 
to me, the worst feeling in the world is you have a busy day. I've taken care of myself. I've exercised. And then it's like four o'clock and I'm like, what the F am I going to have for dinner? And that's where I think you suck a lot of time because you A, don't have to figure out what you have in the cabinet. The kids are running around still. There's a lot going on. And it just feels like the day ends on a big, you know, flat note. And that's what I prepared for. So I, Sunday, I would make the menu for the week. It can be simple. I did a lot of batching, double the rice, double this, double that. And then I went shopping based on that. And so that I, what, you know, our homemade meal every single night, it does not have to be crazy. But if you plan that to me, that was my best time management because all the other things can kind of work themselves out and, and you can have buffers. But if you don't plan the meals, I still do that. I literally, it's a, so therefore it's like, I hate Sunday because I'm like, God damn it. I got to play. But when it's done, I'm like, ah, because then it's up there, you know, the what's for dinner, go check out. I'll, I'll, Cause I'll, mm-hmm. I'll write it. I'll tear that piece of paper out and stick it on the, the bulletin board. I'm like, go check the, the, the torn off corner of paper. <laughs> and there's probably first. a lot of divorces in the world <laughs> when that question comes in and the mom I'm not, you know, again, maybe it's the dad. Whoever is in charge is like, like, I'm making it. Is that not enough that I'm making it? Like, why don't you just show up? <laughs> All right. We went out of a tangent, but hopefully it helps. Hey, listen, be gentle on yourself. Be gentle, be gentle. Time management is kind of like, you know, who knows? It's a game and it, nobody's going to win at it. You just do your best. You do your best. All right. Love it. All right. I love you. Love you too. And we love you guys. That went longer than usual, but hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can write us on our direct message messages on Instagram at laura.hyman or at kbwilliams99. And we are pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.